Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Tuesday morning, the 15th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Every single person in this country knows Vicky Phelan. Today, we all mourn the death of this courageous and inspirational woman. The first time we heard her speak was in April of 2018 when she spoke to reporters outside of the High Court after a €2.5 million Euro settlement in an action against a US laboratory. There are no winners here today. I am terminally ill and there is no cure for my cancer. My settlement will mostly be spent on buying me time and on paying for clinical trials to keep me alive and to allow me to spend more time with my children. If I die, and I truly hope that won't be the case, the money with the women of Ireland can no longer put their trust in the cervical check program. Mistakes can and do happen, but the conduct of cervical check and the HSE in my case, and in the case of at least 10 other women, who we know about is unforgivable, provide for my family. A very personal response following her successful legal action, but that was not the end of the matter. It was the beginning of a campaign for all women in this country. The women of Ireland can no longer put their trust in the cervical check programme. Mistakes can and do happen, but the conduct of cervical check and the HSE in my case, and in the case of at least 10 other women, who we know about is unforgivable. A campaign for transparency and full open disclosure. To know for almost three years that a mistake had been made and that I was misdiagnosed is bad enough, but to keep that information from me until I became terminally ill and to drag me through the courts to fight for my right to the truth is an appalling breach of trust. And I truly hope that some good will come of this case and that there will be an investigation into the cervical check programme as a result of this. Vicky Phelan, who died aged 48 on Monday morning at Milford Hospice in County Limerick, surrounded by her family. Let's speak to Rosie Condra, a fellow campaigner with uh, the 221 Plus group. Good morning, Rosie. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. I suppose what we heard there was uh, the beginning of a significant period in recent Irish history, uh, but also a significant period in your life and the lives of some 221 women in this country. Uh, how do you remember Vicky Phelan? Good morning, Michael. Um, how do... I'm just 
very upset. Um, how do I remember and how can we do um, this amazing woman do justice um, to honour her? I think it's very, very important to remember her as a mother because she was always talking about her kids um, as a wife to Jim, as a daughter to her loving parents and as a, a loving sister, a campaigner, an advocate and a really, really good friend to us all um, within the 221. She, she cared really, really deeply about her family. She had a very keen interest in how all we were and our families. How we, she always asked about how our family, our kids were doing. This is a woman who had, um, she had a will to question and to do. And I know we're all angry. You know, this is a 48-year-old woman who lived a very, very full life. She lived a really, really good life. So it's a life well lived, but it's cut way too short. I think though we have to have a moment, a long moment of reflection and consider all the good she done and the change she brought. I think when, you know, you you get to meet Vicky Phelan in the past mm. and when she met Gabriel Scali, they both recognised in each other an incredible will and heart to do better for everyone, to, be, to do better for women. For me, as a cancer, cervical cancer survivor, I think she really shone a light on a disease that is otherwise very private. The pain is very private and it's a very hidden disease. She gave up what I find, of course, very hard is she gave up her own privacy, her own right to privacy, so that we, all of us women, Manana Heron, as she says at the end of her, her movie, that we might be heard and we might be seen. And I think, I think her death... I hope she can rest in power and we can pay her the due respect that she so deserves and in doing so allow her family and her friends the privacy to mourn in privacy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned Gabriel Scali, who, of course, uh, carried out uh, that report. And he, he said that the way women were being treated uh, verged on misogyny. Uh, and I think uh, it's that bigger picture uh, that should also be recognised uh, because of uh, the changes that have occurred uh, in cervical check in this country and uh, the changes that should occur if Vicky's... Uh, legacy is uh, to be respected uh, but it's that broader culture in women's health uh, which uh, I think Gabriel Scully was lar- said was largely hidden uh, but was given a, a voice because of Vicky Phelan Yes I think for most definitely for 
all of us in 221. And indeed, I'm sure other families who aren't members of 221, but most definitely for us, she was like an anchor in an incredibly choppy sea because before 2018, a lot of us were dealing with horrendous situations on our own. She openly discussed um, the dysfunctions, the bodily dysfunctions, like your relationships, your sexual dysfunction. She wasn't afraid to discuss that. She didn't allow being uncomfortable with it to be a barrier. And like Gabriel Scali was identifying the elephant in the room is to be heard. And it's really hard to be heard if nobody's willing to listen. And also not allowing not allowing really pertinent information about you as the woman in the situation be brushed under the carpet. And that does seem to be the situation that was occurring up and down this country for women. It's really hard to go to your GP and share, you know, intimate details of how you're feeling and, you know, terms like, you know, the undercarriage underneath, down below. Well, she blasted that right out of the water. And I think one of the most important pieces was the open disclosure and the right to know about everything in relation to your body as a woman and to not be beaten down or hushed, to keep pushing through those barriers. And Vicky, like her life is a testament to pushing through barriers, to not being intimidated by expertise, to not be intimidated by jargon. And she was always well able. And because of her and her courage, her immense courage, her immense candor, we had such an eminent campaigner for improving public health in Gabriel Scali, who also is full of candor. And he and Vicky and Stephen and Lorraine have pushed to make Ireland a better place for young girls and women to go old in. And that's that's what's really important. Mm. Because every life is important. There are women up and down this country and young girls who are scared who don't have anyone to talk to. But Vicky lent an ear unjudgmental. You could talk to her about anything from not being able to cope, being a new mom, postnatal depression, about your, your relationship with your husband. There was no topic too hard to talk to with Vicky. And I just, I want to extend my deepest, deepest sympathy to Vicky Feeman's family, Jim, Amelia, Dara, and her wonderful parents and sisters and brothers, and in-laws, and all her community, the utter devastation. Mm-hmm. 
It was always about love and compassion. I mean, that's definitely how I'd like to remember her. Love, compassion and empathy. And she was bottomless when it came to that. Uh, sincere sympathies and uh, condolences to you as well, Rosie. Uh, your good friend uh, and a pillar of uh, support, no doubt, and uh, a very sad day for you as well. I'd also I'd, I'd like to highlight like our own like Vicky mm. is our national hero, and I'd like I hope if nobody minds Eileen Rush here, an amazing advocate for cervical cancer as well, and the path. You know, the recent death of Lindsay Bennett has absolutely rocked us as well. And I'd also like to um, um, make everyone aware that our mayor, Michelle Hall, she's organising book condolences so people can share how they feel and their condolences with Vicky's lovely family um, in Drogheda, RD and Dundalk. And she'll be um, arranging that to be ready for Wednesday. And I'd like to also thank um, Michelle for being such a good support throughout the years as well, especially for Tiny Oncology and Lighting Up in Purple and for promoting World Go Day. And Vicky was very, very much in support of raising awareness for all gynae, uh, all gynae cancers and how it impacts us women. Rosie, thank you indeed uh, for taking the time to talk to us this morning. Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Rosie Condra, a fellow campaigner uh, and uh, a member of uh, the 221 Plus group uh, that was established by Vicky Phelan. My name is Vicky Phelan and I contacted yourself, Keanu O'Carroll, back in January 2018, almost three years ago now, um, hard to believe. Uh, looking for legal representation um, at a time when I discovered something that I wasn't quite happy with, but I wasn't quite sure what what it was. Um, I, I just had a sense that um, I had been diagnosed with terminal cervical cancer in January 2018. Um, and four months previously or three months previously, I'd had a sit down conversation with my uh, gynecologist um, who just wanted to have a chat with me about uh, an audit that had taken place in cervical check. Um, and this kind of came out of nowhere, out of left field. And I wasn't really sure where it was going. Um, and this was at a time when, you know, I didn't know at that stage that my cancer was back. Um, so when I was told about this audit, um, the first thing I thought of was, well, you know, was there a chance that I could have been diagnosed earlier than 2014 when I originally got cancer? Um, because what he told me was uh, my smear test in 2011, just after I'd had my son, um, had been rechecked with this audit um, and they discovered that um, there was a different result. So the result that uh, I was given was that everything was fine. I had a clear smear. um, And then this revised result, according to this audit, showed that there was a discrepancy. Um, And all I was told at the time was that, uh, you know, there was a query that I could have had cancer. So it was all very hypothetical. Vicky Vielen was a, a vigorous campaigner and uh, you're listening to her speaking there a, a year ago in a, a podcast with her sister Keen O'Carroll, uh, which had one objective, which was uh, to uh, inform people and to bring about change. And it, it uh, was... 
uh, a podcast in which Vicky Phelan spoke very candidly and she spoke uh, uh, about uh, her own situation and how difficult uh, the news was to take in. At the time, I kind of decided to park it because I wasn't, you know, I still had uh, no cancer. I was happy to be cancer free at that stage. But then that changed a couple of months later. And I was sitting waiting for a biopsy uh, in a treatment room, bored off my head. And I started looking through my file. I thought this is the time I need to start looking now. Um, didn't even know what I was looking for, to be honest, Keen. Um, and looked through my file and I found uh, a report from Cervical Check about this review. And that was it. That was the moment I decided, you know, I just knew from this review, uh, from what I read, that there was more to this audit than what I had been told uh, back in September. Um and I just decided I needed to get legal representation on this. I had a feeling just from reading that review at the time that there was a chance that I could have been misdiagnosed, um, but I needed help with that. So that's where you came in and uh, I contacted you. And uh, that was what set the ball rolling, really, with all of this. And I never thought back then, you know, when I think about it, nearly three years ago, that we'd be... <laughs> Um, you know, set off one of the largest health scandals in the history of the state, really, with what happened. Yeah, it really was incredible. Ficky Phelan talking about how she discovered uh, that this audit was underway and that of a thousand women who were screened, 20 would have precancerous changes, but only 15 of those 20 would be picked up by cervical check which meant that five out of uh, the 20 precancerous smears would be labelled as normal when they were not. They were, in fact, precancerous uh, and could go on to become cervical cancer. Uh, Vicky Phelan uh, will undoubtedly be remembered for a very long to co- time to come and we'll uh, hear more tributes uh, to Vicky Phelan later in the programme today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, just some of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning. Christine is in Kel. She says, I don't think that there's anyone here today who won't feel the grief at Vicky's death. Inspiring and courageous. May she rest in God's gracious arms. Thanks for that, Christine. Deirdre says, the late Vicky Phelan was an amazing lady. She stood up for the women of Ireland. Vicky will be missed. May she rest in peace. Tom says, Michael, this really is very sad about Vicky Phelan. What a woman she was. Such strength. I'm not taking a political swipe, but the government, I hope, are feeling shameful only for her. And thank God for her. She stood up to them. May she now rest in peace, says Tom in Navin. Thank you indeed uh, for that. And a, a separate note, uh, a listener in Navin says that it's time for the Gardaí to be given extra powers to combat the spread of assaults and other antisocial behaviour on our streets. These thugs have no respect for anything. And the sooner, the better Gardaí are allowed to use batons again. Never mind civil rights talk for these thugs. They don't deserve any. If something isn't done soon, then our towns and villages will become ghost towns, even during the daylight hours. Time for hard-hitting laws to be drafted, says our listener. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, I'm not sure what has happened in your life to uh, inspire that comment, but thank you, as I say, for making contact with us and sharing your thoughts with us. Now, uh, as you know, a 33-year-old man has appeared before Trim District Court, charged uh, with uh, the murder of Iona Miela Pakala, 30-year-old woman, uh, who was found dead in uh, the Riverwalk Court uh, apartment complex on the Ferry House Road in Rat Oath. Paul Murphy, uh, reporter, was in the court yesterday and he's been telling me a little bit more about what happened. Well, the hearing was in front of uh, Judge Miriam Walsh. Uh, the court doesn't normally sit in, in uh, on, on Mondays in Trim, but the, the judge happened to be there to hear a separate case. 
from, from dating from last March. So the accused, uh, Andre Marian Dobra, uh, uh, 33, was charged with the murder of uh, Iona Mihela Pakala, aged 30, at Riverwalk Court, Ferry House Road, Rathos, on Saturday evening. Mm. Uh, he, he was brought into court um, wearing a trousers and, and a pink sweater um, by a side entrance. Uh, he didn't speak during the hearing at all. Um, Detective Garda uh, Michelle O'Brien gave evidence of having arrested, charged and cautioned the accused. She said the arrest had taken place at 11.48 on Sunday and that he was charged at 11.51 on Sunday. She said said that the accused, in reply to the caution, said, I'm so sorry for that, it should not have happened. The defending solicitor is Morris Regan, uh, who said that his client had been living in Ireland for the last seven years and had been working. Mm. Okay. Uh, Am I right in thinking that it it was a friend of Iona's who who raised the uh, alarm and that when Gardaí uh, arrived in Ratoth, they discovered Andre, uh, this man who's been charged with her her murder at that address? Yes, that is the the position. Uh, Her friend raised the alarm and and immediately called Gardaí and so on. And then um, when, when the Gardaí arrived, they found uh, the accused uh, on, on, on the premises. Um, the solicitor said in court that, that this man, has, his English was quite good, but that the solicitor said it would be better if he had a translator available to him, and, and that, was, that was granted by the judge. A, a Romanian translator as well. They were both Romanians. Both Romanians, yes, mm. that's right. Okay. He also, said, he also said that because the man had indicated suicidal tendencies, he would ask for a psychiatric assessment and a report while he's in custody. And Judge Miriam Walsh ordered that assessment and the report and remanded the accused in custody to appear again by video link at the court in Trim on Thursday. The yep. judge also acceded to an application by Mr. Regan for free legal aid. Okay, is it right to say that uh, they came to that uh, conclusion because uh, he had wounds uh, that uh, would have been compatible with self-harming when they discovered this man on Saturday evening? Uh, Yes, the accused appeared to have a mark on his neck when he appeared in court. Okay, Uh, and uh, there was nobody else in court to support him. Uh, He was uh, taken there by Gardaí and then taken away where he's uh, going to be held in custody until he appears before uh, the bench again. That's that's right, and he didn't didn't speak during the hearing. Okay, Uh, and the next appearance will be by video link, will it? The next appearance will be by video link on Thursday, yes. The accused won't be brought to court on that occasion. Paul Murphy reporting there. Now let's talk about uh, inflation once again and this time more specifically grocery inflation. We all know that our electricity and gas bills are are rocketing as indeed is uh, the cost of everything in this country but grocery inflation has reached a record 13.4%. This is according to Cantar which records supermarket sales and it is saying that on average this means that people are spending €941 extra a year. Now, that's based on a basic 
basket, uh, which would currently cost €28.20 and it's an extra three eighty on top of what you would have been paying. Uh, but uh, I think people probably are paying a, a lot more than that uh, in the big scheme of things. Uh, this obviously adds to the pressure that are on people. Louise Bayliss, spokesperson with Spark, which represents lone parents, is on the line. A very good morning to Louise and thanks for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, I take it uh, there's no great surprise in those statistics. No, there's no great surprise at all. Unfortunately, it's what we are experiencing. We hear the overall inflation rate, but that's, you know, including big ticket items that a lone parent on a low income is not able to access anyway. It's those type of figures, the 13.8 that you quoted for grocery inflation, which is really impacting the two things that are essential to survival, heating and energy costs and and groceries. That's where the big increases are, and that's where people on low income, that's where the vast majority of their money is going. I mean, increases, inflationary increases in cinema tickets or, or restaurants doesn't really make an impact if you're on a low income. Your salary, is, your income is just going on, on basic survival. And at the moment, we know people are not basically surviving. They're relying on vouchers from St. Vincent de Paul, they're relying on food food banks and they're looking for support from family members who increasingly have their own concerns and can't survive, you know, can support other people outside their direct household. And looking for ways of cutting down on the shopping bill and uh, that's evident in the increase in own brand sales. Yeah, and and that's the thing that you know. I, and I I know that there was controversy earlier on in the year when somebody did suggest about going around shopping around. That was not news for lone parents. That's what most people on low incomes do. You shop around. You know, you could go to four different shops. You know, if there's a deal on, people who are on low incomes are amazing budgeters because they have no choice. To. They get their money in their hands and they calculate and they know exactly what it is. And, and I think I spoke to you before earlier on in the year, but things have obviously got a lot more critical. But I spoke to you about one woman saying her shopping hasn't gone up because her budget is that tight. Her shopping amount, her budget remains the same. What is happening is she's reducing the amount of food that's coming in. And that's only going to get worse. And it's frightening that at the moment parents are shielding children, but how long that can go on, I don't know. Yeah, it's quite incredible. Uh, there's 115 million euro more being spent on own brand products than would have been the case a, a year ago. Uh, that's because people are, are looking for savings, uh, and obviously they're spending less uh, on uh, the other branded products. The luxury, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and Christmas is being postponed. It seems for a lot of people uh, as well. Uh, a lot of people would have bought in things for Christmas around this time last year. Thirty uh, percent would have bought biscuits, for example, but it's only. 20 23% this year. The whole thing is quite stark when you look at the actual figures and you can see it in real term because some of these statistics we get like the EU Silk Report and um, you know those official statistics mm. they're always a year behind so they're not the on the ground so I thought that was what was interesting about this report it is in real time and we can see the real impact on people's lives and um, I mean one of the things like the even when we look at the budget and some of the responses there were great one-off payments but for instance where we know there's real deep poverty are with households who have teenage children and are relying on social welfare. There was a two euro increase per week for a teenage child. 
two euros, like 30 cents a day, how that would, you know, counteract what you're hearing about 13.8% of inflationary on groceries and 30, 30 cent rise on, on a qualified child increase mm. payment. It's just not adding up and it is not sustainable. And I know the government are reluctant to bring in a second budget in February, but if things go on like this, they really do need to, because at the moment... Mm. People are relying on the likes of St. Vincent de Paul and with the best will in the world, and I'm a huge supporter of St. Vincent de Paul, I think they're brilliant, but people have statutory rights. They shouldn't be forced into, you know, St. Vincent de Paul should be there for the urgent, you know, Mm. emergency, unexpected, you know, cost of living. There's really shocking news today. So, sorry, Louise, yeah. because there's really shocking news today from St. Vincent de Paul. Uh, they say that they're receiving 800 requests a day, every day, from people looking for help. Yeah, and, and uh, to be honest, um, that again doesn't surprise me. I'm actually on the National Social Justice Committee in St. Vincent de Paul, and we had a meeting just last Saturday. And what they're very much trying to say to the conferences is, you know, we, we have money there. We've put it away for the rainy day and the rainy day is here um, and, and we need to start supporting families. But it shouldn't be, people shouldn't have to go there for their basic necessities. That's what our social welfare system is. That's what a social security net is. They should need to go there if there's, an, you know, school uniforms or mm-hmm. something, your, your washing machine breaks, things like that. But if St. Vincent de Paul are providing food vouchers just to, on a weekly basis just to keep people alive. Yeah. That means that the social security system is failing us badly. Absolutely. Louise, I have to leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Louise Bayless, spokesperson for Spark, uh, which supports single parents. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now we go to uh, Rory O'Murku, Sinn Féin TD for Louth and East Mead. Good morning. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. You're uh, coming on today because you're a little bit concerned uh, about a, a video that's going uh, around uh, and uh, what could result from people watching that video in Dundalk. Yes, uh, look, a considerable amount of people have probably already seen this video and this video claims that it's outside the address of here. I I can't call him anything other than what would be a a notorious sex offender. Um, But look, the fact is people park vehicles under and beside um, buildings and homes that aren't their own. So this video basically went past a number of homes there could be confusion in relation to which particular address is his. I don't think the person that did this is serving any purpose. I would ask two things, that people would stop sharing it. And, and I've seen a considerable amount of people who have shared it from a point of view of saying, this is the wrong address. But I don't think sharing it serves any purpose whatsoever. I suppose we're into the whole danger of it's just, it's so easy to post videos, to share them, for them to go viral these days. And look, the fact is we're talking about a part of Dundalk where houses and homes are very close to each other. So, and I don't think we can ever countenance that people would take uh, take the law into their own hands as they might see it, because the fact is any time we've seen that happen, we've seen wrong houses attacked, we've seen even where people have got the right address, got the wrong person, and it doesn't serve any purpose. And um, Let's be clear, in relation to sex offenders, and I spoke to the superintendent this morning, the fact is um, there is a, that there is monitoring going on. And let's be clear, we're talking about someone who's at the absolute high end 
of this of of the spectrum. So mm. therefore, it's going to be absolutely high priority. You're not going to get a word from the guard in relation to individual uh, cases, but what you will get is the fact that there is monitoring going on. You can also see in relation to what's in the public domain, and um, the fact is that this person has been in front of the court, um, and that's on the basis of uh, breach of the Sex Offenders Act. And that can only be happening because there is monitoring going on. And that's absolutely necessary. Now, we need to make sure always that the guards are sufficiently resourced to deal with these type of issues. But the fact is, it's the guards are only the only people who are equipped to deal with it. And I think we have to have a wider question again in relation to social media and publishing and all the rest of it. And I get that a considerable amount of people might think that they're doing the right thing by passing on this information but first of all the information is flawed and even beyond that what there is no good end to this as i say if someone was to attack a house or to attack somebody close to a house or whatever we could end up as i say with someone who's absolutely not connected and that either a property or themselves been injured so that is of no benefit to anybody and see the person who posted this certainly didn't do anybody any favours initially and I would just ask anyone who has posted it or who has been sending it on to just desist and if you have posted it to take it down I think that's what we need to happen Michael as soon as possible Okay you're concerned obviously about vigilantism Well I'm very concerned that like in, in, in fairness we're all if anyone has any serious information to provide it has to go to the guardian mm. because they're the people who can take can take accounts that can prosecute if necessary and if there are dangers that can deal with them Mm. You know, we have always said that they, and I've spoken myself in relation to it, that the law needs to be improved from a point of view of ensuring that the guards get the, all the information in relation to sex offenders and to ensure that monitoring goes on and that those people that are necessary mm. are informed in relation to it. But this is the judicial system at work. Uh, this man has been sentenced, he's done his time, he's been released uh, and he's under supervision and to be under supervision for 12 years. Uh, he break, broke... Uh, uh, the terms uh, of his release, you say, and was back before the court. So that that is uh, law and justice in this country working as it should, is it not? Well, well, it, it definitely is. And as I say, when you speak to the guards, they will talk about, you know, where they have insufficient resources in relation to these particular type of issues that resources aren't an issue and that I have no doubt, given the priority uh, that they have put a huge priority on the case on the basis okay. of the particular character um, we're talking about. And uh, apart from anything else, uh, the man in question does not live in the house that it's claimed he lives in in this particular video. Well, there, 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 as I say, there's absolute room for confusion in relation to it and you're talking about a part of Dundalk where homes are very close together. You would have a number of them, um, as I say, that's... You know, you have duplexes and you have uh, you, you, you have houses, mm. as I say, right beside each other. Yeah. So uh, uh, here, yeah. leave the police work. Could, leave not, the police work. I'm saying it would yeah. be okay yeah. to to attack the house where this man is by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. But let's be clear: damage done to one house would be very difficult to do it without doing damage to another house. And look, the just the dangers to other people are, are just are, are far too great, and that serves no purpose. Okay. There is a monitoring operation in play, and we leave it to the guards. And if anyone has real information um, around any possible dangers, difficulties, or crimes uh, that have been committed, it's the guardie that need to be informed right. of that as soon as possible. Um, okay, I think. And in fairness, Michael, I'm just going to. All I want to say is 
Fair play to LMFM and the tribute to the courage, tenacity and the integrity of Vicky Phelan. And uh, that's someone who we obviously should be putting great focus on today. So I, I, I really appreciate what you have done. All right. Thank you indeed. Rory O'Murrico, Sinn Féin TD for Louth and Eastmeath. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, people are mourning uh, the death of Vicky Phelan across uh, the country. Tributes uh, have uh, been led by the President, Michael D. Higgins, who says it is with the deepest sense of sadness that people across Ireland and beyond will have heard of the death of Vicky Phelan. All of us who had the privilege of meeting Vicky will have been struck by the powerful inner strength and dignity with which she not only only face her own illness but with the sense of commitment to the public good and the rights of others with which she campaigned. Vicky in all of this made an enormous contribution to Irish society thanks to her tireless efforts despite the terrible personal toll she herself had to carry so many women's lives have been protected and will be protected in the future. She will be deeply missed by all of those who were in awe of her courage, her resilience offered not only to women but to all of us in Ireland. She will of course be missed above all by those closest to her and President Higgins expressed his deepest condolence to Vicky's parents, Gabby and John, her husband Jim and her children Amelia and Dara and to all her family and friends. So that's uh, the statement uh, that was published by President Michael D. Higgins on the announcement of uh, the death of Vicky Phelan yesterday. The Taoiseach Micheál Martin said he was very saddened at the passing of uh, Vicky Phelan, a woman of great courage, integrity, honesty and generosity of spirit. She will be long remembered as someone who stood up for the women of Ireland and globally. Our condolences go to her husband, to Jim, Amelia and Dara, friends and family. Mary Lou Macdonald the Sinn Féin president said Vicky Phelan, mother, daughter, sister champion of women, campaigner who took on the state and won rest in peace that's uh, the Sinn Féin president Ivana Bakic uh, the leader of the Labour Party said utterly heartbreaking news such an immense loss, thoughts and sympathies with the family of Vicky Phelan at this very sad time. The Minister for Justice Helen McEntee said incredibly sad news uh, about Vicky Phelan. She fought not only for herself but for so many women. May she rest in peace. And indeed her husband Jim paid tribute to his late wife Vicky Phelan saying uh, that her death would leave a void in the family's lives at this point a void that seems impossible to fill. It is with an immense burden of grief that earlier today we bade our fa- final farewell to our beloved Vicky uh, and he said she was the heart and soul of the family unit and her passing will leave a void in all of our lives uh, that seems impossible to fill. Uh, the uh, family also said uh, that uh, they cherished uh, the memories of a loving wife, mother, daughter and sister whose ability to deal with the struggles of life has inspired not only ourselves but an entire nation. The outpouring of grief and good wishes from far and wide are truly appreciated and uh, they say that the funeral for Vicky Phelan will be private but there will be an opportunity for people to pay their respects in due course. While I wasn't affected by the delay in being told that my cancer went back to 2011 and you know make no mistake about it I had cancer in 2011 it wasn't pre-cancer it was cancer. Uh, the misdiagnosis in my case and you know I know this is not the case for other women 
in, in this audit, but in my case, it has cost me my life. I've got terminal cancer. I mean, I don't believe I'm going to die, but, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to have to fight to live uh, for the rest of my life and go from one treatment option to another until I find something to cure me. But I shouldn't be in this position at mm. all. Yeah. And that uh, was uh, the cold reality of Vicky Phelan's situation uh, that we all woke up to somewhat uh, abruptly in this country. That uh, and uh, the situation of uh, another 220 women in this country. Uh, Vicky Phelan there speaking to the Oireachtas Public Accounts Committee. Uh, and she also told that committee uh, about her legacy and what she'd like her legacy. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. To be. The, the, the big thing for me is the patient safety. Uh, I'm not interested in kind of revenge, you know, that's, that's not what I'm here for. I, I do want to see accountability and I would like to see a legacy, a legacy that this will never happen again to any woman, man or child in this country because there are, you know, this is not just a, a, a woman issue. This is, you know, affecting men and children who are without their mothers uh, and their wives. Um, I never want to see this happen again. And if I do die, you know, I want it to be not in vain and I want to make sure that the, there are protocols put in place, sanctions for people who are not accountable, who, who make these mistakes and are held accountable, and that the HSC is overhauled, and I mean overhauled, uh, you know, from, from the ground up, so that uh, people are held accountable and that this will never happen again in any shape or form. The Irish Cancer Society has also been paying tribute uh, to Vicky Phelan. Let's speak to Avril Parr, who is CEO of uh, the Cancer Society. Good morning to you, Avril, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, you said in your sa- statement that we all owe Vicky Phelan uh, a debt of gratitude. We really do, Michael. Vicky was just such an amazing person. Um, she fought um, her case against against the HSC and, and, and the lab that handled her smear test while terminally ill. Um, and it would have been so understandable if she'd shunned publicity um, and focused all her energy in looking after herself and if she'd signed the gagging order that she was pressured 
um, into doing as one, as one of the terms of her settlement, but she refused that. She said she wasn't going to agree to that settlement mm. unless she could speak publicly because she was determined to shine a light into what had gone wrong at cervical check and also to make sure that other women knew that they had been let down too. And if it wasn't for Vicky, um, we may never have known that there were over 200 women that were also affected by the failings of uh, at cervical check um, and we wouldn't have had all the improvements that her advocacy is, has driven through since. So I just think we owe her an enormous debt of gratitude that while so ill herself um, and dealing with the impact of a terminal diagnosis on herself and on her family, that she just had such a huge heart and such generosity um, to also sp- spend energy fighting for other people, fighting for other women and fighting to make sure that nobody else would have to go through what she and her family have. Okay, uh, and uh, is it uh, uh, an overstatement to say that some women in this country would have received a nearly diagnosis, uh, which they can thank Vicky Phelan for, a diagnosis that they wouldn't have otherwise received and perhaps owe her their lives? Yeah, well, Vicky, despite her own experiences and having been let down by the system, she was such a passionate advocate of cancer screening and the potential of cancer screening to save lives and the amazing thing with cervical screening is that it can spot precancerous changes before they go on to become cancer at all mm. um, and Vicky's advocacy and the awareness that she raised about screening and also the improvements that have been made to the screening service since will save countless lives into the future also the awareness that she raised around the HPV vaccine and the opportunity that parents have now to get their teenage boys and girls vaccinated so that they'll never um, get the HPV virus that goes on to cause cervical cancer. So sadly, you know, cervical checks and cervical screening saves lives. Sadly, it didn't do so in Vicky's case, but it will in countless others, uh, for countless other women because of her advocacy and because of her work. Mm. And when tests are carried out on women through cervical check, I think the statistics would say that about 20 out of 1,000 women will have precancerous changes. The problem before this audit, the problem before Ficky Phelan highlighted the problem was that only 15 out of those 20 were being picked up by cervical check, that 5 out of the 20 uh, tests that were precancerous were marked as normal when in fact they weren't and that in fact would have been the problem with uh, Vicky Phelan's diagnosis that it, it went undiagnosed and she went on then to develop cancer. Has that changed? Well we've moved now thankfully Michael to a much more sensitive test so we now have um, it's a HPV screening test um, which is much more sensitive. It's still not fallible you know there will still be um, cases where um, the precancerous changes won't be picked up and that's why it's so important um, that if women n- notice any changes in, in their body that they seek help I mean, cervical screening is is there um, to catch precancerous changes and as, as you said it will do so in the vast majority of cases um, but it's really important and Vicky again was so passionate about this as well that you know even where people have had 
cervical screening and nothing problematic was picked up, if you go on to experience any any um, symptoms like unexplained bleeding or, or other changes in your body that could be indicative of cervical cancer, then it's so important to go see a GP straight away. Um, and definitely, you know, every, every time that Vicky did the Late Late Show, every time she mm-hmm. spoke out publicly, we noticed a big increase in calls to our support services, both from people looking for more information about screening and also from women who were symptomatic um, or had things that they were that they were concerned about in their bodies and want to know if they should go and see a doctor. And I think the awareness that she created around all of that um, is phenomenal and as I said earlier will really just save so many lives and save other women having to go through mm. the horrors of the treatment for cervical cancer. Yeah. Are, are women getting the information uh, that uh, they should be entitled to um, their own diagnosis and prognosis? So sadly and I think if you may, I think the clip you started with, with Vicky there mentioned um, uh, she was speaking about uh, the need for open disclosure legislation um, the need for women to be for people to be entitled to know when something has going has gone wrong sadly that still hasn't been passed um, by the Oireachtas and you know as Vicky said herself she didn't she doesn't want apologies or plaudits what she really wanted was action um, and you know hopefully the public if I'm response this week and the politicians who've come out and spoken so warmly about Vicky but hopefully they'll put some of that energy into making the changes mm. um, including that open disclosure legislation and, and uh, bringing forward the other changes that are still outstanding to improve our screening services and, and improve our health services and really deliver on Vicky's legacy so that it's not just words that it is mm. action. Yeah, uh, and that really would be a, a tribute to Vicky Phelan, wouldn't it? Uh, because uh, open disclosure is voluntary. Uh, it, it should be mandatory. Uh, and the reason it should be mandatory is not just because it's women's own diagnosis and prognosis and information that they're entitled to, but because of the culture of women's health in this country, which Gabriel Scali said was verging on misogyny uh, when he reported uh, on this. And he told the story of one family being told that nuns don't get cervical cancer just like horrific stuff my god there were so many just like really appalling upsetting stories shared in in Dr Scully's report and it really did it really did you know was symptomatic of as Vicky said just a very you know paternalistic health service one that didn't respect patients didn't feel that people were entitled to their own health information to an explanation when things go wrong um, and I think Vicky really shone a light on that and has forced two changes and, and forced the government to do that independent review that uh, Dr Scully c- carried out mm. the other thing that she shined a light on Michael was also the experience of women who go through treatment for cervical cancer and the need to do more to support them I'm, you know, I think most of your listeners will probably know that cancer treatment ca- can cause fatigue, nausea, hair loss but what very few people knew before Vicky spoke about it publicly was that it can also cause infertility, early menopause, even in women in their in their twenties and thirties going through the menopause, and the cervical cancer in particular. And the treatment for it also causes so much damage, uh, vaginal damage, that women are unable to have sexual intercourse with their partners after going through treatment. And those were intimate issues and taboo issues that nobody ever talked about. And Vicky highlighted all of that in a really frank and good-humoured way 
And that led to us setting up a special programme in the Irish Cancer Society and special clinics to help women with that. And we hope that, again, you know, one, another aspect of Vicky's legacy will be those services being taken on by the state mm. to ensure that women get all of the support, counselling and, and all the mm. and emotional and physical supports that they need to survive cancer and to have a good quality of life afterwards. Uh, and uh, responsibility for the testing uh, and indeed um, h- how uh, those slides are, are dealt with uh, and uh, that the state uh, would take responsibility uh, and be accountable for that because uh, that has been one of the problems, isn't it, that we've outsourced that work and a lot of these slides had been sent off uh, to America and then seemed to go here, there and almost anywhere and uh, there didn't seem to be a clear uh, tracking system in place and one of uh, the things uh, I think that Vicky Phelan wanted to happen was for those tests to be carried out here in this country. Yeah, and that was one of the things that she was successful in, in campaigning for um, a new national laboratory has been built at the Coombe Hospital um, and is due to open, they, they say, by the end of the year. And so I'm just sad that Vicky, you know, didn't get to see that open, um, but it's very much to her credit that she put pressure on for that to be delivered so that, as you said, you know, our health system is accountable for the testing, that the testing is done in Ireland to the quality standards that we set here. Um, I think that helps to give people mm. more confidence in the system and it's, it's thanks to Vicky highlighting the flaws that were there in the previous arrangements that that has been delivered. Okay, uh, and despite all of those flaws, Avril, um, a, a terminal diagnosis is exactly that. Uh, and I, I think uh, Vicky Phelan seems to have been uh, part of uh, this country's discourse forever. And I think most of us thought she was going to live forever. Uh, but as I say, a terminal um, diagnosis is a terminal diagnosis. And I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if Vicky Phelan was here today, she'd be asking people to go and get tested despite all of the flaws uh, that have been experienced in the system up to now. She absolutely would. Um, she will be, you know, as I said, if you, if you get those chains identified through screening, you'll never get cancer. If you pick it up at stage one, 90% of women will survive. And, you know, Vicky will be urging every woman to make to, to take advantage of every opportunity available to them to have their cancer caught early so they don't have to go through the same horrifying experience as she had. I think, Michael, you know, yesterday Vicky was so frank about her own death and so frank about what it was like to have a terminal de- diagnosis. But I think yesterday still came as a horrible shock to so many of us. You know, I think we hoped when, when she first stood on the steps in the high court in 2018 she said that she'd been given six to twelve months to live and you know she she was with us and and, and with her family um, for almost five years after that and I think we all just hope that she'd get to you know the next trial that there'd be something um, there'd be some breakthrough that she could avail of that would keep keep her cancer at bay and keep her with us and keep her with um, her family with Amelia and Dara um, and and Jim and, and her family and friends but sadly it wasn't to be and I think it's just there's a huge onus on all of us that work in, in cancer care and cancer services to be true to her legacy um, and deliver on um, to turn those promises into action and deliver the change that she fought so hard for Okay, Avril, thank you very much indeed uh, for taking the time to be with us and uh, for paying tribute to Vicky Phelan on the programme today. Avril Power is uh, the CEO of the Irish Cancer Society. 
Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, Vicky Phelan uh, wrote in the Sunday Independent about Ruth Morrissey, her good friend and one of the women uh, who received a, a late diagnosis and as a result uh, died of cervical cancer. Uh, a terminally ill young mother, uh, as uh, she put it. Uh, but uh, in that uh, article that she wrote, um, it, it, this was in July of 2020, she said that Taoiseach Michal Martin's apology to Ruth and the doll last Tuesday was followed by a statement from the CEO of the HSE, Paul Reid, offering an apology to Ruth's husband on the day of her funeral. I was at that funeral and after it, I felt compelled to put my thoughts down as the woman who exposed the cervical check scandal which brought Ruth's case to light. I'm also writing as a woman living with a terminal illness who is under no illusion that in a few short years I will also be dead. And I I know many of the very same people who spoke about Ruth after her death will be paying tribute to me and promising the earth, moon and stars in my honour. I am here to tell you now, while I still can, that I don't want your apologies, I don't want your tributes, I don't want your aide-de-camp at my funeral, I don't want your accolades or your broken promises, I want action, I want change, I want accountability and I want to see it happen while I am still alive, not after I am dead. When I stood on the steps of the Four Courts, I hoped that by going public some good would come of my case. Now, more than two years later, where are we? This was written two years ago. I fear any ground gained with the publication of uh, the Scali report, the introduction of a patient safety bill and the establishment of a tribunal has been lost. The majority of the recommendations from the Scali report have been implemented. Some of the more serious recommendations, however, have yet to be implemented, such as the introduction of mandatory open disclosure. This is provided for in the new patient safety bill, but it is still in draft form and needs to be enacted. As you heard from Avril Power there of the Irish Cancer Society, two years on from that or four years on from the High Court case uh, that Vicky Phelan took, uh, that continues to be the case. Uh, There is no mandatory open disclosure in this country. It's still an aspiration, if you like. And as you heard, Vicky Phelan refused to sign a confidentiality clause uh, 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 when the HSE settled with her uh, because they didn't want her to go public. Uh, but Vicky Phelan felt at the time in 2018 that she had to go public. The, the beauty, uh, that's the word to use, or the, the, the advantage of being the first case, um, I suppose, for you and for me, was that, you know, the, the HSE didn't know what was coming. You know what I mean? We, we had that... I think they were much more um, ready to release documents. You know, we got documents at the time, didn't we, in the run-up to the court case, which, oh, yeah. you know, had they known what was coming, they probably wouldn't have released them as uh, as readily, I think. Um, so, you know, I think there was an advantage. And also, I do think they were quite confident that I would not, um, you know, that I would sign a non-disclosure agreement that I was that sick. Um, I think they were really expecting that, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be... Um, as bulgy, I suppose, and as stubborn as I am, um, they weren't banking on me, basically, I suppose, that's that's it. Uh, and I, and they thought this would go away, no more than I did. I mean, that day I stood on the steps of the court and gave that statement, Key, and I didn't think I'd still be here, you know, nearly three years later, still, you know, fighting for answers for, for women and for myself um, and trying to improve um, outcomes.
for 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 women and for the screening program. Yeah, that's Vicky Phelan saying uh, that uh, she was not going to stay stum. She took her case in 2018. A year later, Ruth Morrissey took her case. And on the 19th of March 2020, almost 12 months after Ruth won her case in the High Court and with Ruth's health failing, the five-judge Supreme Court unanimously dismissed appeals by the HSE and the two labs. This is uh, going back uh, to Vicky Phelan writing in uh, the Sunday Independent. She says, On the controversial issue of uh, the test of absolute confidence, Chief Justice Frank Clark was at pains to state anyone who had taken the trouble to read the original High Court decision would not have reached some of the conclusions that were reached. Since the Supreme Court ruling last March, no apologies have been made by any of the clinical bodies for their rush to judgment at the time. For a meaningful apology to be given to Ruth Morrissey was in March when the Supreme Court reached its unanimous verdict and vindicated Ruth. She was still alive to hear it. It's not too late to give meaning to Ruth's fight for justice and to honour her memory and the memories of the other women who have lost their lives as a result of failures in the cervical check screening programme. Just to remind you, I'm reading here from uh, Vicky Phelan's article of July 2020 in the Sunday Independent. And in that, she said women like Emma Vic Nahuna, Orla Church, Julia O'Reilly and Irene Teep, the wife of Stephen Teep, whose third anniversary he was commemorating then with his two songs. Uh, My name will soon be added to that list, she said. And she appealed to the new Taoiseach of the day, Micheál Martin, the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, and all members of the Dáil. She said, please do not wait until I am dead to do the right thing and right the wrongs of the past. Enact the legislation to provide for mandatory open disclosure. I think uh, Vicky Phelan will be remembered as a a very, very strong, uh, courageous campaigner uh, who really touched all of our lives for some time to come. Michael Reed on LMFM. As you know, the Central Statistics Office has uh, been monitoring uh, the amount of uh, people arriving into this country from Ukraine seeking refuge. It's published its seventh in uh, this series of statistics and at the moment it says uh, that there's some 62,425 people who have come here from Ukraine and now call Ireland their home. Let's speak to John Lannan, who's the CEO of Duras, which works to support and promote the rights of migrants into this country. Good morning to you, John, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. We've never seen anything like this before, and I'm sure we're all aware of the challenges that come with it. I think if we didn't have the big accommodation problem that we have experienced in finding places for people looking for refuge, we probably would have an even higher figure than that now. Absolutely. Good morning. Good morning, um, John. And mm. you know, th- this has been quite unprecedented, you know, and even though when the war broke out in Ukraine and we were in March of last year and people were talking about the potential of 100,000 or 200,000 arriving here, we hadn't really nationally focused on what that would mean for us and as time has gone on we have as you said seen that we've now got over 62,000 people who have arrived we've done a good job um, in 
providing for them, finding beds for them, ensuring that they've got PPS numbers, medical cards, etc. But we've been spent a lot of the time since February in crisis response mode, and we do need to move on from that. We need to ensure that the people who are here, who who can't go back yet to Ukraine, are able to integrate, are able to get on with their lives to the extent that they can find work, that the kids can have a level of stability in in the education system and and that they're they're safe and that, that's really important as well because mm. many people will have experienced trauma the displacement has been difficult for them so we really do need to continue to provide supports for people uh, undoubtedly uh, and uh, there's a, a lot of support necessary for so many people and it's not just uh, accommodation a lot of talented people coming to the country a lot of professionals coming to the country uh, but there's language barriers and uh, a lot of uh, the people who've arrived here from Ukraine have been taking English language courses. Yes, and and this has been one of the first challenges that that people have faced. Um, We know from our experience in Dorison from engaging with Ukrainians that there's a great desire to to work, to to find work. Quite a number of professionals have arrived. um, Others um, have arrived as as well. In some cases, professionals have English and find jobs um, in in a range of sectors. But then many people do, as you say, need English language situations. And the education and training boards and lots of other communities and groups have been doing their best here. But we do need more of this because language is one of the greatest barriers to integration. And we do want to ensure that as time goes on here and as people from Ukraine and indeed any other part of the world are welcomed into communities that we maintain the social cohesion that has existed in those communities and that the welcome for for people remains a reality across the country. Mm, 14,000 children from Ukraine in schools here and 8,600 or or, or thereabouts are enrolled in further education. Yes, and... You know, many people had their education disrupted, obviously, um, getting children into primary schools, getting people into secondary schools has been challenging as well. And one of the challenges has been that the dispersal of Ukrainians in serviced or congregated settings around the country hasn't been an even spread. So there's been, you know, an, an excessive load on some schools over others. But look, that 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 is... You know, started out as as best it can. Mm. Schools have risen to the challenge. Third level education has been another challenge as well because as people move towards their their third level education, they need to meet the entry requirements into university here. Others have been disrupted in their education at third level in Ukraine and finding the equivalence here in Ireland and ensuring that they can continue is, is difficult as well. Right. The Central Statistics Office has looked at uh, the number of Ukrainians uh, living in each of uh, the local electoral areas around uh, the country, and the difference is quite staggering. Uh, there is practically none in some areas and quite a lot of people living in other areas. It ranges, they say, from 0.08% up to 8.88%. Uh, and that's close, uh, that's uh, of uh, per 100 of the population. Uh, that's a, 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 an awful lot of people when you get up to 8.88%, isn't it? It, it? 
It is, and I think that was um, Ennis Diamond in County Clare. That's I right. think is the yeah. one with the, the, the highest um, percentage. I mean, that's changed uh, Ennis Diamond forever, hasn't it? It does. It certainly does change um, a, a community, um, and and it does that in positive ways. There's also potential for it to be to have a negative impact as well, because it is obviously an additional strain on on, on resources and services. So this is something that's really important for government to ensure that is addressed and to ensure that where there are large numbers of people who have joined a community or joined a town or a village, that the additional supports and services that that are needed are put in place. And it was welcome to see that the government has provided additional funding at community level just to to assist with that process. Okay, but is that in itself a sign that it's a reactive response rather than a planned response? I mean, it it has to to some extent, and it was interesting that um, a couple of weeks ago that the Irish Hotels Federation came out and said that they were not the solution for for housing refugees. And you know, we'd we'd agree with them. There there is quite a lot of hotel beds being used now to provide that accommodation. And in many of the places around the country where there is a particularly high concentration of people, it's because there are large congregated settings, many of which are hotels that have been used for for the accommodation. But those hotels are, are not long-term. The Irish Hotels Federation were quite understandably highlighting the impact that this would have on tourism. We would also highlight the fact that it's just not a good environment for people to be, to be in for, for a long period of time. And it's particularly if you think from the point of view of children and their yeah. development, living in a hotel room is not a good place to, to be for a long time. Okay, so there's a, a couple of questions then that emanate from that. Uh, if uh, Ukrainians living in hotels now won't be able to live in those hotels in the coming months, where are they going to go to? Uh, also then, I, I think uh, there's this statistic from the CSO of 62,425 people now in Ireland from Ukraine. Uh, the word went out some time ago, don't come to Ireland because there's nowhere for you to live. Uh, and I, I think it's estimated that if that hadn't happened, uh, that by December you'd be looking at maybe 80,000 people from Ukraine, but 15,000 of those would be on the streets. That's before you even look at the hotels issue. Uh, so therein lies the biggest challenge of all. In, indeed, um, and, and there certainly are challenges. The, the numbers that are arriving uh, here from Ukraine are still significant, even though they're not at their peak. The, the CSO figures said that up to the time that they gave given the data, it was, I think, 1,100 refugees arriving um, per, per week. But um, the... The fact is as well that we also have to remember that we have international protection applicants from other parts of mm. the, the world arriving. So in addition to the 62,000 plus people from Ukraine, we've also had about 16,000 people um, escaping from war and persecution in other parts of the world who are arriving here. And we also have to remember that right now there are quite a few of those living in tents in, in different settings around the country. So as we go into, you know, the long, cold, dark, wet winter nights, we have people in very unsuitable and very difficult conditions. So, And, and then in addition to all of that, we also have to remember that we have close to 11,000 
um, homeless Irish people. So mm. there is no doubt that there's a huge challenge here across the board. There is a lot of work that needs to be done. There are, in the short term, elements of the response to the solution that are being considered now, like rapid build homes, like refurbished um, buildings and, and so on. But there's certainly a need for more of what the government themselves called a mainstreamed approach to, to this rather than crisis response. OK, uh, there's also an opportunity for people. Uh, we have a huge cost of living crisis in the country and there's a lot of households struggling to make ends meet. €800 a month is what the country is or what the government is going to pay people from December onwards for taking in refugees. That could be quite attractive for people. It could be, and, and we would see the hosted accommodation as part of the, the solution as as well. Um, and, and this has already been happening around the, the country. Um, the CSO figures, I think, said that 6,900 people from Ukraine were living in private accommodation. Um, I think it was um, 3,200 of those were in hosted accommodation where people were in receipt of that that money, which has been at 400 euro up to now and is, as you say, being doubled up to 800. I think there's, there's great potential still. There are more opportunities around the country for people to put themselves forward to... Um, you know, to to be part of the response to the people arriving from Ukraine. Local authorities will now be looking to identify vacant houses that can be used. There are organisations like Helping Irish Hosts who are ready, willing and, and able and have the expertise to be able to assist people to make a room available to, to guests as well. So there is more potential here. Mm. For sure. Would you recommend it? Um, I think it can work. Mm. I think it's it's important that the the host and the guests understand what they're embarking on. That there's a defined time frame during which the the room will be provided. So whether it's three months or six months or, or for a longer period mm. of time. But from our experience and from talking to people, we know that there have been. Um, that that it has worked out extremely well for many people. Certainly in some cases it doesn't work out, but in many cases it does, so it's certainly worth exploring, I would say, if if anybody has it in the back of their mind or is thinking that's something that they might be able to do. Okay, Uh, and it's on a a temporary basis, obviously, uh, during this uh, emergency, the emergency, obviously, uh, because of uh, the war. The Taoiseach saying yesterday he believes most people will return to Ukraine when the war is over. Do you believe that is the case yourself, John? Um, it, it, many people may return home, but we know from the pictures we're seeing on the television even that the, when you see the state of many of the towns and cities in Ukraine, there isn't anything to return to for, for many people at this point in time. So people are not, in general, going to be able to, to return for the foreseeable future. And we know this as well from our experience in Doris with previous um, refugee support work and, and resettlement projects that you know people in many cases will establish a new home they will get on with life they will start to bring up their children in a new country and I do think that you know we, we've embarked on something here now in terms of our links and our relationships with Ukraine that will persist and I think we'll always have that kind of 
connection now. We'll, we'll always have that affinity with people from Ukraine and I think we, we'll see people coming back and forth but many will stay. Okay. John, thank you as always for uh, taking the time to join us on the programme. It's always appreciated. John Lannan is uh, the CEO of Durris. Durris works to support and promote the rights of migrants into this country. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents which Garda are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Kyle Waters joins us from Enfield Garda Station for the report this week. And you're going to begin with an appeal for information into this murder in Riverwalk Court in Rathoth that shook us all. Yes, good morning, Michael, and good morning to all the listeners. So, Gary Nashburn investigating the murder of a 30-year-old Romanian national, Iona Michaela, that occurred in her home at Riverwalk Court on the Ferry House Road in Rathod on Saturday the 12th of November. Gary were called to the scene at approximately 6pm and a 33-year-old male was arrested and taken to Ashburn Garda Station. The male was subsequently charged with her murder and brought before Trim District Court on Monday. Um, Gardy are appealing for anyone who may have witnessed or heard anything suspicious in the area on Saturday the 12th to please contact Ashburn Garda Station and the number there is 018010600. We stay in County Meath. Another serious incident, uh, a stabbing that took place in Trim. That's correct. So Gardy and Trim are investigating a stabbing incident that occurred on the Patrick Street area of the town in the early hours of Thursday the 10th of November at approximately 4.30am. The reports that two males in their mid-twenties got into an altercation and one male received serious but non-life-threatening injuries to the chest and he's still recovering in hospital. Gardy are interested in speaking with anyone who may have witnessed anything in the area or those who may have dash cam footage to please contact Trim Garda Station. And the number there is 46 9481540. Next uh, to uh, burglary that took place in uh, County Meath. Uh, this uh, resulted in the theft as well of two cars in Mornington. Yes, that's correct. Uh, Gary and Leitown are investigating a burglary and an author is taken of a 162MH registration, silver Toyota Corolla and a 132D registration, a grey Fiat 500 from the Church Road area in Mornington in the early hours of Saturday morning. Um, and the house was broken into and the keys of the vehicle were stolen between the hours of 1.30am and 8am. And as you say, Michael, the two cars were, were taken from, from the house. So Gary are appealing for anyone who may have witnessed anything suspicious in the area at this time or if any motorists that were travelling in the area at the time might have dash cam footage to please contact Ashburn Garda Station on 018010600. OK, and from stolen cars uh, to a handbag stolen from a, a car, this happened in Monaster Boyce. Right, Gary and Drahada are looking for the public's assistance in relation to a break-in to a 221D registration white Hyundai Bayon SUV that was parked at the cemetery in Monster Boys on Friday the 11th of November. And this is the morning time between 10.45am to 10 past 11. So about 20 minute period there. The rear win- window, um, the driver's side was smashed and a woman's handbag was taken from the back seat. The injured party was a tourist and her passport and national identity card was stolen along with her bank cards and a smaller quantity of cash. The handbag and passport were subsequently covered, discarded in a nearby field. Gary are appealing for anyone may, who may have witnessed anything suspicious in the area to please contact Drahada Garda Station on 041-987-4200. And Gary would also like to remind the public not to leave their valuables on display in their vehicles at any time. If you can, please take them with you. But if not, please secure them safely in an area well outside, such as the boot of the vehicle. 
because mm, it's not just your items that can be gone it's also the smashed window and all of the yeah. uh, inconvenience that goes with it it's a, a terrible thing if it happens uh, and uh, obviously uh, we hope uh, that that uh, is recovered uh, for that particular woman uh, we're going to conclude today uh, with uh, a, a text message uh, scam that's going around a, a lot of people are probably aware of this uh, to some degree uh, but it seems to be very serious uh, in how you're reporting it to us uh, this morning uh, and uh, this is uh, to do with a, a text that people might have received warning them that they could have been a close contact to somebody who has COVID. Yeah, it's a, it's a new one to me, Michael, but I'll just go through it with you. The Guardian Kells are investigating an incident of fraud by deception where the injured party received a text message identifying him as a close contact of someone with COVID-19. He was prompted to follow a link on the text message which brought him to what appeared to be a HSC website, a genuine website, so he thought. He was further prompted to pay for a COVID-19 test, which he did not do. Now, this is where the frightening part is, Michael. He was then contacted by phone by a male claiming to be from his bank, informing him that his fraud, that fraud had been attempted on his account. During the course of this conversation, the male provided his bank account details and allowed money to be transported from his bank account. So just, Gary, you're advising the public to be extremely cautious if you receive such a text message. And also, when answering the phone to people pertaining from your bank or financial institution and never give out any personal details. If you're in any doubt, hang up and contact your bank directly yourself. Okay, some of uh, these scams are are elaborate and some are more elaborate than others and they seem to be getting all the more elaborate all of the time. Uh, I think when that text arrives on your phone, uh, it appears as though it's come from the HSE when in fact it it hasn't and then the idea that uh, you follow a link to what appears to be a HSE website, uh, very easy to see how people would be lured in like that, uh, but be very, very careful. uh, The message from Angorda Shia Khan, obviously. Garda Kyle Waters, thank you indeed uh, from Enfield Enfield Garda Station. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. That's our programme for today. Chris Murray was in the control tower. Maggie McGuire researched. I'm Michael and God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 087 660 4237. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.